Hello and welcome to episode 144 of NCP. I'm your host David, and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of NCP. See, I do it better. I should host the show. Okay, host the show. Hi everybody, I'm hosting the show! Uh, that's pretty much all I got, because I don't know if your notes on what's going on on the show. Because so. you suck. <laughs> oh, you didn't give me your notes. See, Luke. if I had the notes, I'd be awesome. I'm here again, and Richo's taking over the world. <laughs> Darkness falls across the land. The midnight oh. hour is close at hand. Nice. I, I think I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> it would be a sad state of affairs if Richo did take over the world. What? Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to live in that world. If I took the foul stenches in the air, the funk of forty thousand years, <laughs> the funk of and forty thousand years, goons from every tomb. How could you not want the funk of forty thousand <laughs> years? Honestly, it's like, it's how much how much funk would that be? It's like forty thousand years of funk. Because because it, it's Vincent, it could be either way. It could be it could be the funk as in you know the stuff you clock, clean off your window seal or something. But it also <laughs> could be the funk That's or right. the sea funk. <laughs> we got the funk. Gonna get the water funk. funk. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Crystal. Hello. Hello. That was a bit high, wasn't it? It was extremely high. That's all right. That's fine. Yes, Crystal you're very excited. The uh, mezzo soprano aspect of her singing career. <laughs> That's cool. Well, as uh, uh, Luke's intro would uh, indicate to you, for today's episode, we have uh, a special on Vincent Price uh, for no special reason other than the fact that we love him, um, and uh, um, it would be his birthday. May 27th, so it was just, I thought it was well-timed. And because I was just watching a Vincent Price movie, I just thought, hey, let's talk about Vincent Price, because <laughs> he's awesome. <laughs> so we'll uh, just uh, just go through some, some brief stuff about good old Vincent. What a legend. Uh, and then uh, the remainder of the episode will be our recast. We're going to do another recast like we did for the Avengers. It was a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, I, want to get the, I wanted to get the boys involved. Thank you. Because uh, they missed out on the Avengers one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but for this one, uh, it's Lord of the Rings. I, I stuck mainly just with the Fellowship of the Ring. I'm excited. <laughs> but but uh, I've, got, I've got quite a lot. I've got, I've got, I've got, quite I've got like 12 people. Yeah, yeah, I've got 12 people, and I've got some variances on, you know, oh, well, there you some go. characters. I, I, I steered away from um, runner-ups this time because it would make it too mm. long. <laughs> yeah, i got about 15 people, so... Yeah, so it's going to take a while. I just, but I, just, I just kept going because I had no idea what like who we were casting and who we weren't. So. Because it was uh, such, it's such a lot of fun uh, doing it by the decades, I thought it worked really well doing by the so uh, we're going to do, do the same thing again, and like, we're going to, that's going to the way it's going to be. Whenever we do another recast, it'll always be by the decade sort of stuff. So we've got Luke doing the thirties, Richo doing the sixties, myself doing the seventies, and Crystal doing the eighties. In Toddcast, <laughs> Toddcast for <laughs> <of> the eighties. <laughs> uh, so before we move on, let's uh, have some news. Uh, just a couple of news items. Just one that just uh, came to my attention this morning, which I just have to have to read out is. Uh, Chris Pratt is uh, about to commence his uh, press junket tour of Jurassic World, and he 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 put some uh, some text on his Facebook page, which is basically uh, a preemptive apology <laughs> for anything that he may do silly, clearly referencing uh, um, the uh, the Avengers: Age of Ultron tour, which was uh, a bit of a disaster. But I, I'm actually going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'll, I'll I'll go I'll go quickly, but still um, eligibly. Yeah, that's a word. I want to make a heartfelt apology for whatever it is I end up accidentally saying during the forthcoming Jurassic World press tour. I hope you understand it was never my intention to offend anyone, and I'm truly sorry, I swear. 
I'm the nicest guy in the world, and I fully regret what I accidentally will have said in the upcoming foreign and domestic interviews. <laughs> and then it just goes on from there. <laughs> so, but, so it just, but that, that gives you the general gist of what it is. So, uh, Hilarious. It doesn't give you a free pass if your name's Pratt. No. What? <laughs> you Don't pick on Chris Pratt. You can't be a Pratt. <laughs> no, you cannot. But, uh, God, he's hilarious. It just sort of goes on from there. He, 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 he even tells it... Uh, a blunder possibly to be dubbed Jurassic Gate. And I'll give you the general idea of what he's talking about. But uh, hilarious. I actually now hope he does do something wrong. Well, I warned you in advance. Tell him to leave his dogs at home. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's safe to say these days that uh, somebody will take offence with some comment yeah. that, that that he makes. Like, that's just... It just seems to be a given now that... It's a generation of people to take offence at everything. Yeah, there, there, will be, there will be somebody online somewhere that will find something that he said and that, that will just blow it out. Somebody will find that know. statement offensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, you're totally right. It's just... Yeah, not to not say... Professional, yeah. <laughs> not, not to say that some of these, you know, complaints we get these days aren't actually justified, because some of them, I think, are, but sometimes it seems like people are just going out of their way to to misread something to in order to get online and complain about it. Yeah. So they, they complain and then goes viral and go, hey, I'm yeah, famous, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I agree. As Jimmy Carr says, offence is taken, not given. Well, He's got a lot to relax. Now you're quoting former presidents. This is... No, Jimmy Carr, the comedian. <laughs> Jimmy Carr. You said Jimmy Carter. I just assumed... No, Carr. Car. Oh, Jimmy Carr. I thought you said Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I, I heard Jimmy Carter. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, I apologise. I heard Jimmy Carr, but I knew who just you were talking you. about. <laughs> <laughs> I can't quote a single Jimmy Carter line. Is he the one that says the buck stops here, or is that FDR? No, that was FDR. That was FDR, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. And I just throw in, say anything and then throw in peanuts at the end, and that's Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Jurassic Gate. Peanuts. Peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Sold. Uh, the other bit, other bit of news is um, the Supergirl uh, pilot for the, the new CBS Supergirl TV show has leaked like six months in advance. I mean, it doesn't get it doesn't get released for another six months, but uh, it's, it's been uh, leaked online. Uh, a lot of people are saying that it's intentional, and I'm, I agree with that because it actually released in a full 1080p version without you know any dodginess. Um, whether it was or wasn't intentional doesn't really matter. I've seen it, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm very very excited. It's uh, I've, I've seen it three times now, and it's awesome. Look, if it was intentional, it's brilliant marketing. Yeah, like exactly. if they if they release this, like talk about talk about a great way to get people talking about a show that isn't coming out for another half a year. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a great effort on their part. If if it was deliberate, I, I say points to them for that. I definitely think it was deliberate. I actually haven't seen it yet, so it's awesome. Can they do Legends of Tomorrow now? Yeah. Accidentally leak that. I would so. not be shocked if they leak Legends of Tomorrow. You know, just... Uh, no, no, not be shocked. Just just leak it and release it, because I want to watch it. <laughs> I see the trailer and I like it. It does look pretty cool. Well, yeah. Well, like I said, I've said it three times now. It does... I mean, it's not It's not perfect. It, it, does, it does have some flaws, but uh, I'm happy to ignore those flaws, because <laughs> well, it's, it's just too much awesome. Well, I mean, they've got... Six months to uh, edit it down and, and make any changes they need to <laughs> yeah, make. If they, so. if they do actually need to, so CBS, if you are listening to this, there's just one slight change I want to make. And this is <laughs> this is nitpicking 101, right? This is completely well, nitpicking. Just before you get it, it's not a spoiler. No, 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 no spoilers. Nerd rage. Yeah. No, it's not a rage. It doesn't. It didn't make no, me angry. I'm just thinking if you're going to tweak it a little bit in the six months before you release it, here's the opportunity, right? There's a scene where she needs to use her heat vision. And it's 
blue. It's like blue-white because it's like super yeah. hot, right? Yeah. But the story behind that, it doesn't make a lot of sense for it to be that hot right at the start. So if you could just slightly change it so that it starts off the yellowy red that we're used to and then becomes the blue-white, people who have seen it once, see what I'm talking about, that would be awesome. <laughs> I told you, nitpicky. Yeah, that, 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 that is a little nitpicky. That's a, <laughs> it's extremely nitpicky. But I mean, I could go into other stuff. I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's a little bit cheesy, but it's cheesy. In, I think it's cheesy in a good way. It's cheesy in a good way. Yeah. It's 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 clearly aimed at much younger people. Yeah, and and uh, Melissa Beno, is that pronounced right? Beno, I think so. Um, is is brilliant. She does an excellent job. There's only perfect. There, no, oh, not 100 percent perfect. I'd say 99. There was one scene where I didn't quite buy when she was a little bit upset. I didn't quite buy that. Oh, when she's talking to her sister? Yeah, when she, she, she sort of turns toward camera with hands over her face. Yeah, yeah um, okay, fair did, enough. But everything else, perfect. Um, I think she's perfect. Um, she, she looks awesome. The um, costume is good. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, it's, it's, they've, made it, they've made it faithful to the original costume, but they haven't gone over the top, and it's, and it's still something that she can actually fight in and, and still be comfortable. I mean, there's no stiletto boots or anything like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, they, they haven't sleezed it up from what I've seen, well, which is a nice it's, it, it does have one scene where it's, I mean, it's the classic sort of, you know, new superhero on the block, so trying to decide on what the costume should be. The costume scene, montage. So. And the costume <laughs> montage, yeah. And the, 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 her learning her powers all over again is awesome montage. But uh, it's, it does have a scene where she comes out wearing this, you know, typical 90s <laughs> sexy costume, you know what I mean? And she's just like, I wouldn't wear this to the beach, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, this nice. is just, I'm not wearing this. Trying to cover herself And, up. you know, trying to sort of like, <laughs> and then she comes out wearing sort of like the traditional sort of costume. Mm. And uh, it's just it's hilarious. Although I did like the earlier version of the costume where she had like big red Doc Martin boots on. <laughs> yeah, so it sort of it evolves as the, as the yeah. show goes yeah. on. But, but uh, yeah, I... I like I said, it's all the awesomeness overcomes any of the flaws that, that, I, that I would have found. I mean, and like I said, there are others, but um, it's just, I mean, Melissa's awesome. It is everything Man of Steel should have been. I mean, it's happy, cheerful. Inspiring. Exciting, inspiring. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just... Hopeful. Hopeful. It's no, absolutely great. The it's, important question here, is it fun? It's fun. That's what it's I, yeah, fun. That's what it is. It's, 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 it's basically, it's, I mean, it's in a similar sort of vein as The Flash. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like where it doesn't take itself too seriously, uh, but it's you know, and it's there. It's there to entertain, and it's not afraid to be happy. It's, <laughs> you not, know it's, I mean? it's not embarrassed by its. Yeah, it's not material. embarrassed. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's it awesome. is, however, afraid to say the word Superman. Well, I don't think they're allowed to. It's kind of weird though. Whenever <laughs> they refer to Superman, it's referred to as him or my cousin or Kal-El. Or, oh. or the you know. The Man of Steel. It's, it's I never like that, though. It's I kind of like that if they it, do it. If they do it in a way which kind of, you know, builds up the mystique and the awe of Superman, then I'm all for that. Well, no, no but we know who he is. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's no, I know, it's, but, but well, it's not, not only do we know, but the audience also is meant to know because he's been around for ten years. Yeah, yeah. And, and they kind so. of show him in silhouette. Yeah, but um, it's, it's clearly just, a legal thing. It just. It's, it's like the first couple of times it happens, but it, it happens a lot during <laughs> the first episode, and it's just kind of weird. Yeah. It is, it is, it's it's a, bit, is, a bit weird. But. I wonder if this is the Tom Welling thing that's been doing the rounds at the moment. That Tom Welling is going to show up in on you know DC's you know super TV universe as Superman again. Oh, interesting. Um, and the rumors, the rumor was going around that he was actually going to appear as Superman on the Flash. Right. Uh, but I'm wondering if maybe that that's what they're building. Maybe they're tying this into um, the Smallville. Well, who does Smallville belong to? Smallville was a CW show, okay, but I'm so assuming it belongs to Warner Brothers, like 
all the copyrights for all these shows. Yeah, well, he, yeah, they have talked about um, the Flash and and that show in luck. Yeah. So they've, oh, they've, look, if it, they've if talked about to... sort of semi-share in the universe, like not entirely. Yeah. Like I mean, they do talk about a lot about how Superman is the only hero in the world. Yeah. And so I mean, they've just they haven't referenced. Yeah. Flash or stuff but like if, that because I guess the legal team haven't sort of got it was up, it yet. If it was up to Steve Armell, he'd just he'd just be appearing on every on, on area, exactly. <laughs> he, he, he wants he wants to appear on Gotham. He, he, want, he wanted to appear on Constantine in order to try to keep yeah, the show yeah. going, which and, is awesome. Yeah, I, 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 his his commitment to playing Arrow is just incredible. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm, I'm sure he's he's all set. Like the minute that they say, "Yeah, let's have Arrow have a guest appearance," he'll be like, "All oh, right, let's See, go." No, I didn't know about that Tom Ellick, but that would actually make sense. And be quite yeah. cool, I must admit. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't a super Smallville fan. I actually didn't like it at all. I but, liked the first season, but, but I think I it, it would the work. Last few, it would the work. last few seasons are excellent. I never got um, that far. Yeah, yeah. so that, that would work. Well, it does have um, Dean Cain and uh, Helen Slater. Helen Slater yeah. <laughs> as uh, Mr. and Mrs. Danvers for like a brief second. So I, just, I assume they'll show up later on in the show. But yeah, it, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you got a lot of difference in them. How was Linda Danvers? Not Danvers. Linda Carter. Linda. <laughs> what? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Helen Slater. Helen Slater. character's name is David. Linda Carter. Linda Carter. I'm, I'm confused all by... Uh, yeah, you're getting, you're getting completely mixed up superhero here. Years. You've just merged them all into this one awesome woman. <laughs> I know. How awesome would that be? Oh, my God. Let's move on. <laughs> cool. That's, uh, that's the news. Now, just uh, some very quick plugs. Uh, Metamojo... Um, Episode four went up uh, last week. Uh, we have a, a new host, uh, Silhouette. Unfortunately, had to had to leave us, uh, but she'll still be she'll still be she's still part of the family. She'll still do some uh, some reporting on site and stuff like that. But uh, um, life intrudes. Yes, life in, life gets in the way. I'm afraid. Uh, but so yeah, so we have a, a new host named Talia, uh, and uh, and she's awesome. Uh, so anybody who's seen episode four uh, will know that she's a great addition to the show and. Uh, and the rapport between her and Black Sword is just uh, awesome. And, Excellent stuff. Uh, yeah, it's it's great to watch. Yeah, so so welcome to the family, Talia, and uh, and uh, here's to many years of Mano Mojo awesomeness. It's also our most popular episode, so uh, it's I mean the numbers sort of went through the roof. Very awesome. exciting. Like a, with a bullet. <laughs> with, with a bullet, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> oh jeez. All right, cool. Let's get on with the show. Let's start off with our special. It is time for some Vincent Price. Vincent Leonard Price, born May 27th, 1911, died October 25th, 1993. So he would actually be like, like 104, 105, yep. yeah, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. 104. 104. Unfortunately, died of lung cancer. Born in Missouri, youngest of four children. He uh, attended St. Louis Country Day School. And graduated with a degree in art history from our university, and that would come in uh, come in handy later on. He was a, he was a huge patron of the arts, uh, not just the the acting sort of performance arts, but the actual art itself. He he was uh, an artist, and uh, uh, there's actually a story. It's fairly uh, fairly recently where a, a couple bought a, a painting for like twenty five dollars. Yeah, the classic sort of bought yeah. bought something with a lot of money. So they bought it for like twenty five dollars, and it turned out to be Vincent Price. Art collection stuff, and now it's like eight hundred thousand dollars. Awesome, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's and pretty he, and he, and he, he could only do better if it was Vincent Van Gogh. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. So the, the, the Vincents. Vincent. <laughs> we should have a whole Vincent show. <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> so despite his last association with horror films, Price actually started out as a character actor. He made his film debut in 1938 with Service Deluxe and uh, established himself in the film Laura. Which I think you seen Laura? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Absolutely. Awesome. I was kind of, I was kind of, it was kind of put off because I was like, what, what's, where's, why is there no sort of macabre sort of stuff this is happening? Like, oh, this is a serious film. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> his first venture into the horror, he did a couple of other, like I said, uh, drama films as well, but he's, his first venture into the horror genre is in 1939 uh, in the Tower of London. Yeah. And then following year, he portrayed the title character in the film The Invisible Man Returns. Awesome. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> the, the Invisible Man Returns is not great. The Tower of London is pretty awesome, though. Tower of London is awesome. Well, you know, I, like, I'm, I'm saying more it's awesome as in he makes a return. Yeah, yeah. Not, not that the film's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not that bad. I've seen worse. Yeah, all right, true. <laughs> <laughs> he had uh, quite a few villainous roles. Because let's face it, he just had that look. Mm. Yeah, with the... Uh... You wouldn't trust him in a dark alley. What's that feed called? It's actually called something. That's Van Dyke. Yeah, the Van, Van Dyke. Dyke. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's in uh, films like uh, The Web, uh, The Long Night, The Bribe. He played conman James Addison Rivas in the Bible, The Baron of Arizona. He also did some comedy, Champagne for Caesar. Have you seen that? Nope. No. Suck it. <laughs> <laughs> he was also active in radio playing Simon, Simon Templar in The Saint, yep. which ran from 47 to 51. Yes, and he was actually quite good. Um, I don't know you would have heard some of it. Um, it. You mean you know the Saint's actually an, an English character? Yeah. Um, but it, but you know spoken by an American here. But he's got the um, the suave, urbane, um, charming sensibilities that really make it pull it, that really pull it off. So it works. Yeah. The only Saint I've seen is Roger Moore. Um, the oh, Saint, and Val Kilmer's film. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's sort of a nice um, counterpoint to the George Sanders. Gotcha. Um, movie series running at the time but the difference here is that unlike the George Sanders one where he would go from town to town um, he that's sort of a centralised location with uh, you know some uh, recurring characters gotcha um, he's, he's got that classic mm. American accent that it could almost pass as British anyway yeah yeah, yeah. he also did some TV uh, Crossroads uh, and uh, Batman yep. as Egghead yeah uh, yeah he loved he loved playing. He's, uh, it was one of his favorite roles. Was was Egghead. Mm. Um, he had uh, a lot of fun, and, and apparently to all everybody involved, said he was he was great. That's because um, you know he would do stuff like if Burt Ward was getting a little bit you know arrogant, he would take scenes a bit further, like throwing egg throwing eggs at Burt Ward. Yeah, well, there, there <laughs> and everyone that. cheered. Everyone in the crew cheered him on, so yeah. he kept doing it. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. That's that's the classic story of. Uh, of, uh, he was he disagreed with the way uh, Bert Ward treated somebody on set. Mm-hmm. Like, so palsing with eggs, and it turned into like a massive egg fire of the entire crew involved, <laughs> including <laughs> Bert Ward. So, uh, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> that's, that's a cool story. Uh, but yeah, so he also did um, you know, Get Smart, F Troop, The Man from Uncle, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, that sort of stuff. But uh, in the sixties, he uh, he had uh, quite a few successes, uh, especially with his uh, Roger Corman. Pitches. I love Roger Corman. We'll do a special Roger Corman at some point. <laughs> <laughs> How I made over a hundred movies in Hollywood and never lost a dime. Yeah, what a what a legend. <laughs> uh, so with uh, the House of Usher, 
one of his biggest successes, mm. uh, which is great stuff. Uh, and uh, his Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, The Pit and the Pendulum, awesome. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Tales of Terror, Comedy of Terrors, The Raven, The Mask of Red Death, brilliant. Yep. Uh, the Tomb. It just the mask. The Mask of Red Death just visually stunning. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it amazes me that they managed to get a movie out of what is a four-page story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's awesome. I love it. Well, my first novelty seems to have failed. However, on the Sabbath at midnight, for your amusement, there will be a masquerade. The wardrobes of the castle are yours to use. But I beg of you, even for the humor of it, do not wear red. <laughs> And I can never pronounce this, but the tomb of Ligeia. Ligeia, they pronounce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew I'd get it wrong. Uh, I also started The Last Man on Earth, uh, which is uh, an adaptation of I Am Legend, which we'll be discussing in two episodes' time. That's right. Very cool. Uh, and Witchfinder General. Mm. Which is also known as the Conqueror Worm, but not um, not Poe's Conqueror Worm. No, no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was in the US as the Pope Conqueror Worm, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. I think Here because, it was Witchfinder Because it was Vincent Price, you know, tying it into some... To some post story or poem in even the most tenuous of ways, probably granted them. Poe read this book. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of interesting, The Conqueror Worm, because it is vastly different to a lot of his um, other film roles, yeah. in which there is. Uh, he, in films like The House of Wax, uh, he plays, you know, um, monster, evil men or monsters who you kind of sympathise with. Um, and that's also true of some of the post stuff, like Tomb of Lygia and The Pit and the Pendulum. You kind of sympathise or empathise with them to a certain extent, that mm. they are victims of fate rather than um, masters of their um, own destiny. Mm-hmm. Whereas in The Conqueror Worm, because he's actually you know wandering the country- countryside killing witches, that is part of his duty, You know he's actually much, much more malevolent as a result. Um, and it's sort of interesting to see him play... Um, that side an out and out bad guy an out and out bad guy rather than he does an um, excellent job rather than uh, finding a level a degree of empathy for the character that the audience can um, look onto which is why House of House of Wax I think works yeah, yeah. because he actually does a really good job at the start of um, getting you on side with um, with his character so that when the um, the reign of terror does actually um, unfold you understand what's going on you don't want him to win but you can actually side with them to a certain extent, yeah, and think that you totally. know, the yeah, the guys who've done this kind of have it coming. Yeah, I also did uh, a couple more comedies: uh, Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, and its sequel, Doctor Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's let's not really. Have you seen it? Just I've seen the first ones. one. Is it terrible? It is awful. <laughs> Sounds awful. It is absolutely terrible. I love that sort of stuff. Great. Uh, he then uh, in his later career, he then. Uh, it uh, did uh, a lot of work, like I said earlier, with, with art. Um, he uh, even had a Vincent Price collection of fine art, uh, which had none of his work in it, <laughs> but because he likes them. They were part of his collection, so you know, Rembrandt and uh, Picasso and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. Uh, he did some more radio, uh, yep. which was The Price of Fear. Yep, which was done for the BBC. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've actually heard some of that. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually it's quite a quite a good job. Yeah. And some, of, and some of the... It because it, it, it's it is an anthology horror series, mm. um, but sometimes it's just him narrating a story, yeah. and sometimes it's him involved. For instance, one of the episodes deals with him and his friend visiting this out of the way, um, quite mysterious restaurant, yeah, 
Um, That's the word I heard. The, but it's, the interesting thing is that there are some murderous things going on in the restaurant, but Vincent Price is actually kind of a bit oblivious to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually it's actually quite it's quite well done. It, it I'm glad you that one up. That's black awesome. black dark humor. Yeah, but quite well worth listening to. Yeah, and that was sort of done by because he's also a bit of a it was a bit of a gourmet as well. Um, he'd written cookbooks and um uh, and like you know a bit of a foodie. So a foodie. Yes. <laughs> Is that your term for them? Or? No, oh, okay. that's a, that's an actual you know people call themselves foodies yeah, so. really that's a real yeah. term is it I've never heard that before but that's what you know you write, I can you just write, imagine people sitting watching MasterChef yeah. saying get off the screen foodie <laughs> you're gonna yeah, probably do now that, that you've heard it you'll hear it all the time yeah. I'll be using it but all that's the time. um yeah that, no he was a like you know he was a gourmet he um yeah. he wrote cookbooks he um quite liked food and quite liked cooking and um so he's actually you know quite you know not versatile I guess in his at least you know varied in his interests and hobbies yeah he was awesome at all of them. Um, he also appeared in the uh, Abominable Dr. Fibes. Abominable. 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 Yeah, like as snowman. in Snowman. <laughs> and he say Fibes or Phoebes? Uh, I think it's like pronounced Phoebes. In the I think film. it's Phoebes in the show. Yeah. I've always pronounced Fibes though. <laughs> you put the wrong impasses on the wrong syllable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because you you just said that awesome joke, uh, I'm not going to correct myself. I'll keep that in. But yes, the abominable, 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 the abominable, the, the, the abominable doctor. He's got, he's got awesome abs. They say the uh, they say the Acropolis <laughs> with the, with a Parthenon in. Uh, yeah, a bit of a QI reference there. <laughs> Um, and, and its sequel rises again. I'm not going to try that again. <laughs> it's rising again. And Theatre of Blood. Phoebes is interesting because that's almost like a not a swan song because Pete does some work with um, Tim Burton as you'll Tim Burton, get to. Yep. But it is almost it is effectively a last hurrah. Yeah. Because um, it's the last time where you get to see him really take you know, center do stage. Do you like them though? I love Phoebes. Really? Actually, I haven't seen. I think, I think it's, I a, it's an second. unpopular opinion, but I actually I'm just not a, not a fan. I liked, I liked the first one, I think, more than the second. I actually, yeah. haven't, I haven't seen the second one, but okay. I, you know, I've got it sitting at home. But yeah. um, I really did enjoy the first one. But then the first one, it, there was there's a nice sort of sense of grandness to it. Yeah, mm. um, I guess, and over the yeah. topness that bought, that borders on eloquence more than uh, on um, opulence, more on uh, more than camp. See, I, I disagree. I, I just think it's I think it's too over the top. Like it's, I think it's I think it's, it's trying too hard. Like I mean, compared to the brains of. House of Wax and, you know, Mask of Red Death and, mm. you know, where he's, like, I think he's at the top of his game. I just think, mm. Phoebe, I think he's just, it's like, they, it's like, I just keep picturing the director going, more Vincent, more, you know. Be more Vincent, yeah, like, <laughs> Vincent. Yeah. Like trying to, he's like <laughs> no, trying to I, I see, Vincent, Vincent. I see, I see what you're saying, but there's, that could also be him going, well, this is popular. Well, screw it, I'll, I'll yeah. go all out. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Um, he also appears on The Muppet Show, as quite a lot of people did during that time, and uh, it's an awesome episode. It yeah. is. Fantastic. I don't think I've seen that one. It's not quite up there with the John Cleese one, but it's still awesome. <laughs> uh, he also provided the... Uh, in the 1980s, he provided the narrator's voice for Vincent, which is Tim Burton's six-minute film about a young boy who uh, believes that he is Vincent Price. <laughs> and Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. Is it good? It's um, great. It's fun. I've heard good things. It, it, it is fun. It's been, it has been a long time since I've seen it. Um, I actually saw it about twenty years ago. Right, I haven't seen it since, but um, I do remember it's, it being quite. Yeah, quite I, I saw it again um, a few years ago. There was a Tim Burton exhibition 
on in Melbourne. Oh, was yeah. it playing there? Yeah, it was playing oh, there. And, um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's charming. Yeah. You know, in, in a lot of that sort of weird, quirky way that Tim Burton used to be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Before he sold it out to the man. This, this, this actually had that charm to it. And obviously the addition of Vincent Price's voice to anything makes it like doubly awesome. So, yeah. uh, And he, of course, the uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Darkness falls across the land. Midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. The foulest stenches in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly goons from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. And for some, that was like, that was the introduction to Vincent yeah. Price, which I thought was kind of weird. Like, I mean, I was a nerd, so I, guess, so I, I knew who he was. <laughs> no, but, that would have been my introduction, because you've got to remember yeah. that at the time I would have been three. Um, so, <laughs> What do you do watching the Thriller video? Three, three years old? Yeah. That's a disgrace. <laughs> what? <laughs> no wonder you turned out the way you It have. was the mid-80s, <laughs> and Michael Jackson was awesome at that point. Three years old? Yes, I was a huge <laughs> fan of Did you not of freak out at the, uh, of course the I freaked transformation? Out. Oh, okay, good. Cool. But when he turns around, go away! Yep. Of course I freaked out. It was scary. I was 10 years older than you, and even I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit weird. <laughs> that was your exact reaction. <laughs> Although the girl was hot, so right. Alright, uh, moving on. Cool, he, did, uh, he also did uh, a couple of other things, including uh, Scooby Doo and, and uh, television series Mystery, uh, and uh, various stuff like that. The final performance was uh, Edward Scissorhands as the inventor. Um, and he's great in that, mm. I think. Yeah, he was actually he was so ill during that that actually his presence on set was like twice as long as it would have been because they had to keep stopping. Mm. So like so could he like he breathed he had a very heavy emphysema at that point and, mm. and stuff like that. So but but he still manages to add he, a certain level of charm still, yeah. to the to the film. He's still awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, and Burton to his credit just. Like you take all the time you need. You know I mean? well, well, Burton clearly, Bryce. <laughs> yeah, Burton clearly absolutely loves Bryce. So yeah. that's not surprised. It's awesome stuff. <laughs> his his legacy is uh, not to be ignored. I mean, uh, anybody who doesn't recognise, even if even people I think who don't even know who Vincent Price is, would still recognise the voice. Mm. As like, well, obviously from the Thriller video yeah. would, would be the most most one. But he did another one too. I can't remember what it is. As he did another another voiceover, sort of in that similar in that ilk for um, a music video for another music clip. He did some vo- he did uh, some voiceovers for some a television TV sh- uh, children's TV show. Mm. Um. <laughs> that, that's who you want. That's who you want um, uh, for your uh, children's television show, Vincent Price. <laughs> and today, children, <laughs> <laughs> don't look behind that. Um, oh no, no, I know what you're talking about. He was um, Deep Purple. That's it. Yeah, yeah, he was involved in Deep Purple. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, 
but uh, no, he's but like every you know uh, mm. he's on The Simpsons and he was, you know, he was also in a, he was also in a, like an Alice Cooper movie that was made in sort of the mid seventies as well. Really, what yeah. was that? Um, I can't remember what it was called, but I mean, you know, it was, it was Alice Cooper who was, you know, completely over the top himself. So yeah. no surprise that uh, Vincent Price Were they father and son or something? I can't, I can't remember. It's been a long, long time. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, he was, and, and like I said, he was, uh, a, a, you know, a patron of the arts and um, and uh, a foodie, <laughs> which is my new favourite term. Uh, but for me, he, he, um, it's the reason. I mean, the main reason I want to talk about it was just. Of just how much of an influence he is for me in in terms of, mm. um, I mean his voice alone just is, mm. is enough to sort of to, you know bring back the chills. Mm. You know what I mean? I didn't find I never found him particularly scary, um, but the, I think that's he, his charm. Yeah, sort of the macabre yeah. more than the more than the outright it, horror. It wasn't you know you're not meant to you sit in fear of him. It's meant to be well, what is this man going to do? One of the nice things about him is that there's always a sense of grandness to it. Yeah, he always played um, high status, certainly in the horror films always played high status and so even in some of the Corman stuff which isn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination mm. it sort of rises a bit above it because um, because of his presence the gravitas that he yeah, brings the gravitas yeah. like even, he brings. I didn't even mention the fly so mm. he's, 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 he's not the main character in the fly but he, but every mm. scene he's in is mm. still awesome because he's just the voice alone, you know what I mean? but he was just he was also I mean, he was a great mm. actor as well. Mm. And as you say um, as you said earlier he managed to give a lot of um, sympathy into yeah. his characters as well. So you actually, you know, when, when he's in, in those Corbin films where he's being, you know, horribly tormented, yeah. um, you, you still feel a great deal of sympathy mm. towards him. Which is yeah. why, which is why, you know, even in Tomb of Ligeia, which is not a great film, it's actually quite dull. Right. Um, you know, he, the, him struggling with the things that he's done. Yeah. Um, and that's why he works so well for Poe because he actually can convey that sense of torment quite eloquently. But without making it feel... Without making you feel sentimental or um, uh, two-dimensional, yeah, you know, it's not all. There's something simmering below the surface, is what it always felt felt like. I'd, I'd like to share um, my, my favourite Vincent Price story. Please, um, this was actually I, I saw him talking about this in an interview, and I think it just sums him up perfectly. Apparently, uh, one of the things he loved to do from time to time was um, actually go to the movies when one of his films was showing. And he would he'd sort of scare the audience and, and, and find a group of people that looked like they they'd be you know in, in into the movies and things and he'd go and sit behind them and when the film like reached its conclusion he would actually lean in and say so did you like the film <laughs> and freak them out <laughs> just thought, that's that's brilliant that is that is just I think that sums him up perfectly he always had that sense of humor and sort of about him as well what so. a legend <laughs> um, hey, just if by all accounts just a just a generally nice dude and, yeah and, yeah uh, for, for a guy that played know, a lot of you know horror yeah, roles he seems professional to be a, a bit but still you know able to sort of to yuck it up with everybody yeah, uh, yeah what, a, what a champion so yeah and uh one of my favorite actors that I just I just uh, implore everybody to uh to check out some of his work, I mean, yeah. especially some of the work that we mentioned. Mm. Yeah, especially, especially, I think the the Roger Corman Edgar Allan Poe adaptations are just just fantastic. Even the ones, as you say, even the ones that aren't good, there's there's, there's at least something about them that you yeah. know that makes them stand out, and that's usually Vincent. Open your heart to Vincent. <laughs> you know, it'd be freaky now if he, um, you know, you have your classic cinema 
that sometimes come back to the cinema. So you can go to the cinema and see an old Vincent movie and he's haunting the cinema. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> and then he comes up behind you. Did you like the movie? <laughs> that would be cool. Walter Hill would approve. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Let's move on to our recast. All right. So uh, it's fast becoming one of our favourite uh, segments, recast. Uh, this is, uh, like I said, this is the first time the boys have been involved, so uh, very exciting. The boys. Uh, for this one we're doing the boys, yes. So for this one we're doing the Lord of the Rings, uh, the once deemed unfilmable uh, series of books, which uh, Peter Jackson just said, well, I think I can do it, and he did. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, uh, awesome stuff. So, uh, which is a, which is a cut above Ralph Bakshi who said, oh, "I think I can do it," and failed dismally. <laughs> yes. Let's start with uh, we're doing we're doing in the decade chronological yep. order. So we'll start with young Luke. Okay, so I have the uh, 1930s. Now I didn't just do the cast; I went sort of with how they would try and do it as well. Same so, here. So mm-hmm. what I have here is that this is a book that is just at the time just too big for one studio to handle. So MGM and Warner Brothers in an unprecedented move. Actually, join forces to co-produce because they think that this this film is so monumental that it takes two studios to actually get it up and running. So, so brought to you by MGM and Warner Brothers Studios, directed by Victor Fleming, famous for The Wizard of Oz and Gone epics like Gone with the Wind, and Michael Curtiz, you know, who brought Errol Flynn to the screen in Captain Blood, and brought and brought us such enduring classics as The Adventures of Robin Hood. Produced by Selznick, along with um, Marion C. Cooper, famous for King Kong, with a screenplay by Edgar Wallace, who also brought us King Kong, and special effects by Vision, special effects by Willis O'Brien, again for King Kong, but yes. aided by the Walt Disney, aided with animation by the Walt Disney Company. Okay, this is this is a massive production this that would massive cost pro- millions <laughs> by those. More credits by that than I wouldn't have imagined. Like I said. Takes two studios, and it would have, <laughs> this project would have taken two studios if it yeah. was done back in the day. Um, I'm gonna go through. I'll go through the rest of the fellowship first before I get to the actual hobbits, because I've got two ways of looking at the hobbits. Okay. Um, so first of all, let's go with Gandalf. Um, now Gandalf for me was the hardest one because at that point in time, you didn't really have a lot of people the age of say, say Ian McKellen back then who were high profile enough to um, actually work. Um, I eventually settled on John Barrymore. Yeah. Who's so also, I, who was just assumed you were going to do. Um, who was, you know, who had the sense of grandness. Could be a bit a bit roguish, the way that a wizard like Gandalf should be. Yeah. Um, but also had the sense of gravitas to make you believe that all these people would follow him to, you know, to Mount Doom and certain death. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, Gandalf is John Barrymore. Now, Aragorn, at that time, there was only one person who could have pulled off the sword-wielding hero, um, and that was Errol Flynn. That, that's, I don't think anyone could argue with that. Errol, no. If they made this back at the time, Errol Flynn would have been Strider slash Aragorn. I can't think of a single argument against that. Um, no. Leading into, so into, the, into the rest, um, if you've got Errol Flynn playing you know, your upright swashbuckler, um, and you know, the, hero, the, the, car- the hero that um, you know, is going to become king... Then to cast someone like Boromir, you need someone a little bit. You need one of the swashbucklers who was a little bit, a little bit darker, a little bit more roguish. So I went with Tyrone Power, um, who could wield the sword as he displayed in things like The Black Swan and um, The Mark of Zorro, um, but also in films like Nightmare Alley showed uh, a much more, a much darker side. 
Gimli was easy, which is Alan Hale. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, if you don't know who Alan Hale is, then watch The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn and directed by Michael Curtiz, um and see the way that he plays Little John. Nice. He's um, um, the Skipper's dad, isn't he? Yeah. The Skipper from Gilligan's dad. Skipper, Skipper from Gilligan's Island. Um, and, yeah, he, that's, he effectively is Gimli. Mm. Yeah. Um, Legolas was actually a lot harder. Yeah. Um, because trying to find someone who could actually have that lightness of being yet didn't come across his camp is a little bit... It was tough. I eventually settled on Leslie Howard. Um, so that's sort of the four fellowship characters. The Hobbit has two mindsets about. You could cast people like Jimmy Stewart as Frodo, Mickey Rooney as Sam, Jimmy Cagney as Merrin, Mary, and I didn't have someone for Pippin. You know, some more straight-laced actors. But then I kind of thought, well, if you if you want to make it a bit more interesting, then why not cast say some say a group like the Marx Brothers? Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. That would be hilarious. Zeppo as Frodo. A, 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 eventually, I think Harpo as Sam because yeah. he's is the one who Harpo is the one who actually really sticks up for the little guy. But he'd have to speak. He would, but um, he'd you know, do it for this movie. He could do it for. He could. Do, but you know, he could also carry around you know various mm. instruments to make that work as well. Yeah. Um, and then you could have you know uh, backwards and forwards between Chico as Pippin and Groucho as Merry. And I kind of like I kind of like that a bit. If you think if you think that's if you think that's weird, you've got to bear in mind that at one point Stanley Kubrick had almost the cast the Beatles. Yeah, mm. I, I don't think it's weird. I think I'm, I think it's it possible that it could have happened. Mm. I just. I just wouldn't want to watch, see that. Stanley Kubrick could almost like almost cast the Beatles as the Hobbits. Yeah, um, he the cast... Beatles. John Lennon wanted to get the bit the oh. Lord of the Rings made and wanted Kubrick to direct, and they were yeah. going to be the Hobbits. Uh, not quite. John, uh, Paul, and John were going to be Frodo and Sam respectively. George yeah. Harrison was going to be Gandalf, and John was going to be Gollum. I can see George Harrison as Gandalf. Yeah, John was Gollum, yeah. and John as Gollum. Exactly. Which gets me back to my thing, which is my casting choice for Gollum. There is only one person I think in the thirties. Who could have had a low status, psych- quite psychotic, yeah. yet quite, quite sympathetic character with big bulging eyes, and that is Peter Lorre. <laughs> as soon as she said bulging eyes, I thought he was going to say Peter Lorre. <laughs> um, again, someone with a gravitas to make it work, someone who could evoke the sympathy to get you on side, but could also have quite a menacing, quite a dark side as well, and yet still play, and yet bounce off, I think, particularly the Marx Brothers. That would, that would be an interesting one, actually, Peter Lorre lording it over Harpo and Zeppo. Okay, Gladriel, Catherine Hepburn. Cool. Perfect. Eowyn, Ida Lupino. Um, Arwen was Livia de Havilland, going back to sort of, you know, the Robin Hood yep. sense of casting. Yep. Uh, Sarah Mann was played by Basil Rathbone. Oh, Sweet. perfect. Yep. yep. I like it. It's very good. So that's my 30s extravaganza. It, I love it. It was very well Fantastic. done. Fantastic. Very well done. <laughs> Uh, so next up we've got Richo. Let's see if you can top that, Richo. Yeah, I'll see what I can 60s. do. I'll see what I can do. That wasn't. Pre- I'll, I'll be honest with you. When you first uh, broached this idea, my thought was actually I've got to do the thirties as well. <laughs> but well, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I, I, Luke and I had spoken in the past, so I knew that he already had all of this worked out. So um, okay, I also I didn't choose a production company or anything like that, but I did choose a director. <laughs> yeah, save Um And I thought the the only man for me that could pull off uh, Lord of the Rings in the sixties is David. Lean. Yep. Coming nice. off coming off the success of um, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yep. 
and uh, Bridge on the River Choir. I mean, this was a man that, you know, Dr. Shivago, this was a man that made epics. Big. Yeah, you know, yeah, this was a man that made huge films. My, my if I was only, in the 60s, believe would be my choice. Yeah. yeah. Sure. My only other thought was maybe William Wyler, yeah. um, who directed, obviously, Ben-Hur. Mm. But no, 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 it's got to be David Lean, and, and like, David Lean's awesome as well, so... <laughs> um, but along those lines, uh, my choice for Aragorn was Charlton Heston. Nice. You need you need a big name to be able to sell the un the unshootable book. Yeah, yeah. Cold dead yeah. head. And, and to Charlton Heston at this point, coming off things like Ben Hur and El Cid, I mean, he was a superstar, and he was a superstar in big, epic, you know, sword fighting movies. So gotcha. I thought Charlton Heston definitely my choice for Aragorn. For uh, for Gandalf. I went with Peter Cushing. Nice. Um, he just carried himself with so much gravitas in, in the horror, Hammer horror movies of the time. And he was always playing, you know, the Victor Frankensteins and Abraham Van Helsing. So that, that, was, that was his niche, I think. And so I thought he would be the perfect choice uh, for Gandalf. For uh, Faramir, I went with Peter O'Toole. <laughs> uh, Interesting choice. Yeah, look, working, working with David Lean at the time, um, I think he would have... Yeah, and, and a great actor who could have really carried the gravitas of that character mm. and all of the the turmoil that that character has within him. And for Boromir, I chose uh, George Papad because <laughs> <laughs> I just love George Papad, and, and he loves it when a plan comes together. Exactly right. <laughs> awesome. Well, in that circumstance, the plan doesn't come together. For him. No, no, not, not at no. all. Um, Although he, he redeems know. himself. For uh, for Gimli, I went with uh, Australia's own Leo McKern. Woohoo! Wow. A big, boisterous uh, figure of a man that, you know, if, if you look at his 60s work, I think he just would have carried that character perfectly um, and probably stolen the show mm. a bit from some of these other great actors we had and, and would have been able to add a little bit of the, the comedy to it as well. Mm. Yeah. Now, Legolas was a, was a hard one for me as well. Because, Legolas is hard. Well, Legolas is, is quite effeminate. And, yeah. And, and in the 60s, the mm. depiction of manhood was, was more of your, uh, of your Charlton Heston's. Exactly, and your, you yeah. Know. Um, but, so I went with a kind of a weird choice, but I went with Frankie Avalon. What? <laughs> well, he's kind of slightly girlish and younger. And, You're and from the fit. surf movies. Yeah. Cool. I think he would have <laughs> yeah. fit... Remember, remember, you don't need to do a lot of acting. I need to for see Legolas, a visual. He would have, did, yeah, it works. He was a pretty boy. He was a pretty boy, it works. and I it think he work. would have. I think he, he could have actually pulled that off. Yeah, you know, relatively well. Like I said, it was a, it was a hard one, but um, and being the seventies, they would have cut all the poetry out as well. So that would be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, well, maybe they wouldn't have. You don't want to poetry in a, not in a David Lee film. No, no. <laughs> um, it would have been all action. <laughs> action, action. Uh, for Frodo, I uh, went with Dustin Hoffman. Nice, young Dustin, playing the serious man, but also that kind of thinking. Think, but thinking of stuff like um, that kind of wide-eyed innocence that he has in in movies like The Graduate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he would have actually carried Frodo uh, pretty well. Okay, for Sam, I've this is also possibly a weird choice, but I've gone with Oliver Reed, and I'm thinking Oliver Reed in his um, um, the sort of Three Musketeers sort oh, of yeah. yep, roles yep. that he had at the time. Gotcha. I think could have carried across that that sense of loyalty and and honesty and things. he probably would have uh, played it up a little bit more. Mm. Um, but I think he, he would have done well. And um, for Marion Pippin, um, I wanted uh, much like you, know, I wanted a comedy duo to pull those two off. All right. Um, and so I've actually gone with um, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. Oh, nice. <laughs> 
And I think those two playing off one another would have just been absolute gold. Um, We're going on a quest there. <laughs> Thank you. Where are we going then? What's this quest? Where are we going? It's something about a piece of jewellery. <laughs> For Arwen, which is Liv Tyler's character, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For Arwen, I've gone with Audrey Hepburn because she kind of just looks like an elf. Yeah, yeah she does. Um, Very plus, you know, she's a better actor than Liv Tyler, so it actually would have given the character a little bit more... Um, actual character. For Erwin, I wanted a woman that kicks butt, and there was actually a bit of that in the 60s, but the one I've gone with is Honor Blackman. Nice. Because she is just awesome. I'm thinking about you know her, her role in the Avengers, plus obviously um, James Bond in Gold... Yeah, the Goldfinger. Um, yeah, Honor Blackman. For Gollum, uh, once again, big, wide-eyed person, I went with Marty Feldman. Oh. <laughs> I, I think he could have uh, actually carried that quite well. Well, and he had like a good comedic actor, so he would have gotten the the, the comedy of of Gollum across. But um, you know, having seen him in quite a few things, there's he he did have that ability to to actually put a little bit more drama into his roles, especially well, as what's quite often quite often see is is comedians comedians make good drama actors. Yeah, you know, more often than not. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, I, think, I think it's an excellent choice. For uh, Gladriel, I went with Julie Christie. Nice. Uh, once again, you want a, a woman that has a good presence about yep. her and, and carries herself well. Um, also cast Elrond. Yeah, same. I went with James Mason. Nice. Because James Mason is just awesome. And I would have actually probably slotted him in somehow if I was doing the 30s or 40s mm. versions as well. But um, And uh, in the spirit of this show, this episode... Uh, for Saruman, I cast Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I actually had two choices there because I was always also yeah, thinking cause... if I wanted something a bit more, you know, serious and dramatic, I actually thought Christopher Plummer might do it well. Yeah. But then I thought, nah, Vincent, Vincent Price. Price. Vincent Price is a man, and yeah, of course I could have cast Christopher <laughs> Lee if I wanted to, but I thought, no, no, no. In the spirit of this, I thought, no, nah, let's not. You pretty much cast Christopher Lee in any decade. Well, yeah, say, just about. <laughs> yours and mine, I think, sort of go hand in hand. I think. Um, which makes sense because I love you. Oh, you don't? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, it. Oh, that's my apologies. It. That's it. All right, cool. So I had the seventies. Um, I also had. Uh, well, I, I've got a bit of background for my one, right? Now, <laughs> um, in the seventies, uh, John Borman uh, was contracted by United Artists to actually direct mm. an adaptation of Lord of the Rings, right? Yep. So this was a real project that was going to happen. Yep. And a lot of a lot of uh, I won't go into the, the precise details, but a lot of crap happened, and, and it never come across. And so John Borman then went on to make. Escalibur, mm. right? Which is essentially what he wanted to do first, anyway. Yeah, and he just and he stole a whole bunch of ideas in order <laughs> to then do Escalibur, right? Um, so, including some of the sets. So, some of the sets were actually already pre-built, and so he used them for Escalibur. Right? Um, now, for anybody who's seen Excalibur will know that it's uh, it's big on spectacle, and uh, it would have made it just it just makes me think just just how grand his version of Lord of the Rings would have been. Yep. Um, judging by the script which I have read, <laughs> it would have been a disaster <laughs> for the purists because basically he had to he had to uh, compress all three books into one film, and uh, John Borman he likes the female form, so there was quite a few <laughs> cases of of uh, some uh, gratuitous nudity. Uh, most importantly, a scene where um, before Galadriel will let Frodo look through the mirror, he has to have sex with her. So there's a Frodo Galadriel sex scene. What? I'm serious. Um, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> there's various things like that where you're just like, what is going on here? Um, 
One of the things that I did really like, though, is that originally there was going to be a... Uh, the film was going to open with uh, an actor portraying Tolkien, actually writing Lord of the Rings, and was then going to pull back into a Kabuki-style play, which explained the history of Middle-earth up until this point. Okay. Oh, that was, that's a brilliant idea. Um, that, would, that would really have been very, very visually striking. Mm. Um, but some of the other stuff... No. <laughs> it's actually quite, quite good that it didn't work. Um, so, now I've, so I've, scri- I've, I've cast my version as if the John Borman project went ahead. So I've actually got a couple of the actors that I've got um, is kind of a cheat because of the actors that he actually wanted. Mm. Um, but the rest of them I've either discarded or because I can't find any reference to them, I've actually cast them myself. Mm. Um, so there's only there's only two that he actually had in place that he wanted, and the rest I've just I've cast myself. Um, so this is a John Borman production of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> God, I'm sure it didn't happen because it would have been awesome. No, okay, it would have been great. Okay, so. Frodo, I've got Dustin Hoffman. Hey! It just works. Yep. Yeah, it is. It does. Yeah, for all the reasons that Richard already said. And the great thing is, you don't even need to make him short. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, 1975. I'm very specific in my year here. This is 1975, Lord of the Rings by John Borman. So Dustin Hoffman, it works. Uh, for Sam, I've got Michael Beck uh, from The Warriors. And because this is the 70s, they would have wanted to get as much beefcake as they could. So this is a beefcakey version of Sam with <laughs> his shirt off because it works. Oh. <laughs> this is John Borman, man. <laughs> have you seen it, Gulliver? I'll chuck, I'll chuck it off. This is not the film for you. It is awesome. Uh, Mary, I've got Elliot Gould. Okay, nice. Uh, and because, you know, for the comedy sort of element. Um, it ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's quite, well, they could use sort of, you know, effects, it could yes. work. Uh, yeah, so Mary Alec Gould, because um, just because it's hilarious. And uh, for Pippin, uh, I've also got uh, Arthur. <laughs> Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore, it works. <laughs> so uh, so they're the, they're the Hobbits. Uh, for Gandalf, I actually have who Don Bowman wanted to cast, who was Nicole Williamson, uh, who he then went on, obviously, to cast as, as Merlin. Yep. Um, and I, that works for me. I'm, I'm totally happy with that. Yeah. Uh, if for whatever reason Nicole Williamson was unavailable, I would have had Donald, Donald Sutherland. Yep, that nice. Work. Yeah. Uh, for Aragorn, now, this is... <laughs> I don't personally agree with this, Garcia, right? I wouldn't have liked it. But just, just thinking 1975 Hollywood, nobody was bigger than John Travolta. <laughs> John Travolta for <laughs> Aragorn... <laughs> <laughs> That's a dance on weather top. Um. Oh, it just would have been hilarious. Uh, anyway, so yep, John Travolta, Aragorn all the way. Legolas, I've got Michael York. Yep, yep. Because um, I just I thought uh, he would also have these sort of the effeminate sort of, yeah. sort of elfish sort yeah. of acts, and, and plus a, a great actor, so it would work. And you know, you could you could play off uh, uh, Gimli, who I've got is uh, Brian Blessed. Oh, Joe yeah. Blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian Blessed just is Ghibli in real Brian life. Blessed. I mean, that's all yeah, there is to it. My 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 uh, my um my backup for for from Brian Blessed was Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another good choice. You never know. Another good choice. Now Boromir, I wanted someone. I wanted someone with a lot of presence for Boromir to go with that whole redemption story. I wanted. I wanted to sort of play up play up Boromir's role uh, quite significantly, and uh, so for, for Boromir, I went with Jack Nicholson. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. Because, <laughs> you know, he dominates the screen. And when you've, you've got someone as crap as John Travolta for Aragorn, <laughs> you need someone good for Boromir. Uh, hey, I, I had a, a Bilbo cameo mm-hmm. at the start, and for that I wanted Mickey Rooney. Nice. Yeah, yeah. good yeah. choice. Um, now, the Arwen in this, in this adaptation, Arwen was actually changed to be 
the the, uh, the romantic element of Arwen was completely removed, and uh, it was basically Aragorn and Ewan, Ewan all the way. Um, so uh, Arwen was changed to be sort of like a spirit guide fairy type thing, like a a, a, a teenage. She was a teenage teenage spirit that appeared and just sort of helped them along their way. Okay. And so with that in mind, as a teenager, I went with Christy McNuggle, you know, who would have been 13, 14 at the time. About that, yeah. And so, yeah, so it would work. Um, and she was a good actor. For, and so then for, for Eowyn, who's meant to be the, the, he's now the love interest of Aragorn, um, I had John Travolta, so I had to have Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> <laughs> that is the reason you chose John Travolta, isn't it? Because you had to have Any Olivia. Any excuse to have Olivia Newton-John in my film, I'm going to Can do Can she it. be on roller skates? No, she's not on roller skates. <laughs> oh, but that'd be awesome. And Aragorn Damn, in a white was, suit. Imagine if she gorgeous. was roller skating into battle. <laughs> no. Although now that I think about it. They have to get to the <laughs> Please, don't we refer to her as Australia's own? Australia's own Olivia Newton-John, you're right. For um, our run, they had Peter Cushing. Uh, I just think you just had the presence. Uh, Galadriel. Now bear in mind that Galadriel and Frodo have to have a sex scene. So for Galadriel, I had Helen Mirren, who, funnily enough, was John Borman's choice for Galadriel anyway. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, you know, she didn't actually leave her clothes on in any film in the 70s, so <laughs> no. that works. Yeah, so Nicole Williamson and Helen Mirren were the two that, that yeah. John Borman already, had already sort of pre-cast. Yeah. Uh, Gollum... For Gollum, I wanted him to be animated. Mm-hmm. So this is the, this is seventy five. We could pull this off, right? Yep. It wouldn't look very good, but it would work. So I wanted a fully animated Gollum, voiced by Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get much more rangsty. It works. And uh, finally, last but definitely not least, Sauron. I was going to go the cheap option and go Christopher Lee. Yeah, because I could do it. Seventy five. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. But uh, I thought, hey. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, to mix it up a little bit, I went with Max von Sydow. Nice. Mm. So that's uh, by John Borman, 1975. <laughs> <laughs> adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Uh, at oh. least you didn't go with, I don't know, Ken Russell directing it. Imagine the violence. John Travolta is Aragorn. John Travolta is Aragorn. I want to see it, man. I want to casting. So let's move on to Crystal, finishing up with the 80s. The 80s. Now, I hadn't picked a, a director like everyone else, but with the 80s, it would have to be Spielberg, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. <laughs> Spielberg or, and or maybe Lucas, but probably Spielberg. Well, let's not hope Lucas. Well, Spielberg, yeah. Spielberg is probably the only person at the time that could have gotten enough money yeah. to make the film. Yes. That's a good point. Okay, so um, with my Bilbo, I started with Bilbo, I, I went for Richard Attenborough. Oh, um, I was going to. I, it's only got myself to blame here. I was going to give my. If I had more time, I would have chosen shorter statute actors for the for the hobbits, but um, I sort of didn't have enough time to really think that through. But I mean, even in the eighties, there's various ways you could shoot them as shorter. So for Frodo, I went for um, Colin Firth. Um, nice, Sam. I went for David Jason. He would have been a little old at the time, but I think he could have pulled it off. I think of David Jason and his sort of um, Granville days. In, yeah. in, uh, I don't know. Where's he from? Open all hours with Ronnie Barker. Oh, right. Gran- his okay. Granville days haven't stopped. Yeah. He still does. He still plays Granville on, on Eve still open all hours. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Pippin, I went for John Hanna. Yep. Cool. Hmm. People would know for Four Weddings and a Funeral. He does that poem. Yep. Yeah, probably his most famous role. Mary went for Rupert Graves. Now, if you don't know Rupert Graves, yep. um, he yeah, was in... watching Sherlock? Sherlock, <laughs> yeah. He's Lestrade and Sherlock. But um, back in the 80s, it uh, would have been about the right age for Mary. Um, and would have, I think would have looked the part. Mm. For Gandalf, there was only one choice, really. 
I went with Alec Guinness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was almost, almost going to cast Peter Cook just because of his um, king uh, in Blackadder. <laughs> but but uh, um, I decided on Alec Guinness. Um, Aragorn, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yep. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. Who was actually one of Peter Jackson's choices. Yeah. Really? But he decided to do... Um, Why was John Travolta not chosen? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because no one in their right mind other than you seems to think that that would have been a good idea. Awesome. Uh, Boromir, I've gone for Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, nice. Now, Le- Legolas, he's my left field choice. Um, it, it, bear with me. Uh, you might go, what, what, what the, when you first hear it. But back in the, back in the 80s, he was a quite, quite a pretty young man. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman. Google a picture of Gary Oldman in the 80s. He's very elfin looking. I can actually see where you're coming from there. Gary Oldman can play any character. Yes, imagine imagine a Legolas with somebody who was a really good actor. That would have been yeah. amazing. And, and there's, and oh, there's, no, no, you're with, I'm with I'm you. Thinking, I'm, I'm picturing it now. Yeah, and there's, no, there's no, nothing in the rule books that says that Legolas has to be tall. But no. even if but they mm. can sort of shoot him from the ground up. Maybe. No, I've got you. It works now. <laughs> Gimli, yeah. I think you're going to like my Gimli, Bob Hoskins. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, Galadriel, I went for Helena Bottom Carter. Cool. Wow. Because yeah. mm. I'm thinking good Ophelia. Feels. Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. Um, Arwen, I went for Ali Sheedy. Cool. Nice. <laughs> She's the only nice. American in the whole cast. Right. <laughs> um, Not a bad thing. <laughs> Saruman, now he's a little bit young, but I think they could make him look a bit older. Um, Alan Rickman. Good oh, choice. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And this is my favourite, my, my most, I think this is my most inspired bit of casting. <laughs> my, my, I, I was so pleased with myself when I thought of this one. For Gollum, Martin Clunes. <laughs> Interesting one. No, well, please please explain. You, you want you got. He's got the eyes. Yeah. He's got the lips. Yeah. He's got the ears. He's got the ears. Back in the eighties, he was very thin. Yeah. I think that just works so well. I can see. Yeah. No, absolutely. See him in a little loincloth. <laughs> you really see him in a little really, loincloth. You, you're right. One thing though, you wouldn't need that much makeup. He kind of looks a bit weird already. He's got so. that look. Yeah. So that, that's that's my um. I didn't I didn't cast um. Alan or um, I cut the main people. Yeah, that was fun. By that the way, that was very well done. Really enjoyed that. <laughs> oh yeah, we, it was awesome. It's, it, it's a lot of fun, man. That was cool. All right, well, we'll go. We'll do it. Uh, we'll be doing a recast again for sure. Hopefully, you liked it as uh, as much as we did. Um, we'll take requests if you want us to requ- recast something. Yeah, for sure. If you you got something you you want us to cover, please let us know. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so let's finish up. We're coming soon. Uh, in cinemas May 28th, we get Partisan, San Andreas, which is The Rock's oh, latest action God. epic. And, I, just, uh, I can't stand disaster movies, honestly. Disaster got, movies are awesome. The Rock's awesome. That's two got, levels of awesome. All you need is a Kylie John Travolta cameo. Yeah, it's got Kylie. Strazo. Strazo? Strazo. And uh, Disney's latest, Tomorrowland. Anyway, that's it for episode 144. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if you did. Let us know if you didn't. Just let us know. Let us know that you're out there. We're interested to know. <laughs> John Travolta, if you're listening, Aragorn. <laughs> it would have been awesome. And I can picture the posters now. You love them in Greece. <laughs> They're back to save the ring. Please, right They don't want to save the ring. That's not the whole point. <laughs> the whole point is to destroy the ring. They're back. 
Look, to destroy the ring. We don't need no eagles. Look, D- David's not listening to us, so please write in and explain to him why John Travolta is a bad idea. <laughs> That's it from me. Hey, Richard. Did you like the episode? Look, I can tell by the way I use my sword on a woman's man. <laughs> hey, Crystal. My axe. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can run on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.